Well, today we wrap up a series that we've been in, The Six Habits of Healthy People, over the last number of weeks. And if you've missed any of the episodes, we highly recommend. Go back through. You can check them out uh, on the podcast app that you uh, get your podcast. You can go to YouTube or Facebook. And each week of this series, we've tackled, not exhaustively, but we've tackled a core part of a particular habit that we find in healthy people. And what we try to do is, is over these, uh, these weeks is actually find six of the things that we often discover people are trapped by, uh, things that people have perhaps been enslaved by. In fact, as it throughout this series, kind of what we figured out is that healthy people, if we were to describe healthy people, that healthy people aren't enslaved by their appetites. In fact, healthy people uh, are able to overcome their appetites. It's not that you don't have the appetite for money or the appetite for uh, drama in relationships, but that healthy people discover the way to not be enslaved by that appetite, instead make your way through it. And we would say as, as Christians, as, as pastors, as this team here at Moncton Westland, that the best way, of course, it, to find freedom is by looking to Jesus Christ, the one who offers freedom to us all as we put our faith and trust in him. And so that's been this series. Now, today, as we wrap it up, we've saved a significant conversation here for the end. Um, today, in fact, we are covering the topic of pornography. Pornography. And I'm sure you're thinking, what an incredible topic to hit on on Valentine's Day. And as you will see throughout, I think, this talk, it really is perhaps the most important thing that we could talk about on a Valentine's like today. Now, when we talk about pornography, there's a couple of things that we need to clarify because this is a, an incredibly big topic and there's all sorts of misconceptions and different ideas about what this actually is. And so I want to make sure that you understand what is pornography in order that we would have this conversation about it. I mean, gosh, we're here on a, on a Sunday morning in a church. Even if you're downloaded this message and, you know, it's months down the line, you're thinking, what kind of church would have this conversation that most often people think is designed for, you know, dark corners of the internet versus having it right out here in the open? And so you need to understand what pornography actually is because this will help us understand why it's important to talk about. Number one, Pornography is sexually explicit videos, phot photographs, writings, or the like, whose purpose is to elicit sexual arousal. Now, this is different than perhaps you were assuming when you think about pornography. Usually, we focus on this explicit videos part because that's how, for most of our culture today, people experience pornography. However, the actual definition of pornography is, is anything, the like. It, it could be photographs, you know, and back in the day, that was primarily the means of, of, of uh, pornography. Writings, um, there's books, obviously no pictures, but books that are pornographic in nature. Uh, and the purpose, of course, in the way that you distinguish whether or not it's pornographic or not is, does it, is it designed to elicit a sexual arousal? Do you experience sexual arousal when you partake in one of these particular items. It actually means that the show that you currently are streaming on Netflix might actually be pornography, even though it's not rated X, it's rated M for mature, and it has a lot in it that's actually doing this exact thing. Now, interestingly enough, this isn't a current issue. In fact, if we go back and look at the New Testament, and this is the other thing you need to know about pornography, is that it is covered exhaustively throughout the New Testament. In fact, there's 56 occurrences of the word, a few different variants of the word. Um, Greek, of course, is, is these words. So this is a porneia. It's the noun describing the activity of pornography. Um, a pornos or porne, it is the, uh, the noun describing the person who partakes in this particular thing. Or um, porneo, which is the verb articulating again pornography. But this is the word, obviously, that we get pornography. Porneo, uh, porne, pornos is where this all comes from. And so this has actually been something that for thousands of years 
has been a part of Christian teaching and talked about really openly. Jesus talks about pornography. And so wherever you're at, wherever you're watching this message from, as you're thinking about it, and you're like, oh my goodness, my church, this place, like why is this coming up? Um, this is not something we should be talking about. The truth is, is that your quarrel isn't with me or this church for having this conversation. Your quarrel is actually with Jesus himself who talked openly about pornography. The third thing that you need to know about what pornography actually is, is that it is uh, sexualization of anyone other than your spouse. Now, this is an important distinction because uh, as we talk about things that elicit sexual arousal, as those of us who follow Jesus, we've signed on to this scriptural definition of what it means to be married and to experience uh, monogamous uh, uh, sex within this marriage. And so if you live uh, with, uh, with a sexualization of anyone outside of your spouse, that becomes where you're partaking in uh, something like pornography. So within the bonds of your marriage, the sexualization, the sex is actually very okay. It's celebrated. We are very sex positive here as a church. And yet, anything outside of that relationship where sexualization occurs, that is what we're talking about today. Now, it's covered, obviously, a lot in the scriptures. It is uh, a, a, a large topic, but But what is the actual scope of pornography that would cause us to have the conversation here today? How influential is it in our culture? And this is important, if not sobering, to understand the scope of it. Because, I mean, if we were here in the room and, you know, you would have perhaps a hard time making eye contact with me, but the truth is, is that we would know sitting amongst here together that this is your issue. Uh, You know, you've kept it secret for a long time. Uh, Not many people realize, but between you and I, we know that this is your issue. But it's easy for us to perhaps speed beyond having the conversation because we can defer to, this isn't a big thing. It's not, it's not quite out there as much as, as you might think. But, but the stats actually tell us otherwise. So how influential is pornography in our industry or in our world today? Um, porn sites received more website traffic in 2020, last year, than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Zoom, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. A chunk, a massive chunk of the bandwidth uh, that goes through the internet today is related to pornography. Not just that, but actually if you go into search terms, we find out that uh, porn-related searches represent nearly 25% of all online inquiries. Porn is huge. In this internet age, it is so prevalent. It is so out there. It is so consumed, and it's so easy to consume that we find more and more as each year passes that it consumes more of our time and more of our culture. You're like, yeah, but, but this isn't, surely this isn't, this isn't our issue. I mean, it's a big problem, but it's a problem for other people. It's not our problem. Well, well the truth is, and, and this is a U.S. stat, so maybe this is a bit different in Canada. It's not usually that much different than them, but a recent U.S. survey of adults, that's age 18, interestingly, all the way to 73. It's not a young person's thing. This is an every person's Thing. Ages 18 to 73 found that 91% of men and 60% of women reported having consumed pornography in the past month. This is your issue. There's a disparity, perhaps, when it comes to women uh, because of the way that we report uh, porn access stats. They may not have the full definition of what pornography actually is. And, and to be fair, it's been more... Uh, more uh, people have been accustomed to hearing that it's a, a men's issue for longer. But as we recognize and realize from the stats, this is an equal opportunity kind of thing, men and women alike. This is your issue. Now, 
if it was just about adults and us as adults struggling with this, it would be one thing. But pornography is actually really influential because of the impact that it has on the next generation. And I've been in uh, youth ministry working with teenagers for just over a decade now. And the unfortunate part is that this is a, a, a constant conversation because of the way that it, it dramatically affects and changes developing brains. And it is infused in our culture in a way that's terrifying, actually. And so just from a statistic standpoint, if, if it kind of helps you understand why this is important to talk about today, 93% of boys and 62% of girls view porn before the age of 18. Almost the same stat as we just learned in terms of adults. Not only that, but <clears throat> average age of first exposure of porn is around 11 years old. And as a tad of boys, knowing that this is a conversation about, about when there's an exposure, it just changes the conversation because it's real. And they're going to deal with it. And so we have to talk about it. Average age of first exposure. Now, 51% of 11 to 13-year-olds reported being exposed to porn. Middle school students, half of them, have already been exposed to pornographic material. And if you dig into some of the stats, you'll find that increasingly there is addiction in that age category that by the time somebody actually ends up in middle school, that there are, their worlds are consumed by their addiction to pornography, and the impact is, is widespread beyond just um, themselves. It, it changes how, and we'll get into this, but it changes how they're developing. It changes how they interact with people. Terrifying. 75% of parents, and this might be you today, 75% of parents believe that their child had never encountered porn, but of, but of those children, 53 reported 53% reported that they had, in fact, seen porn. We, we deal with this all the time in, in youth ministry. We talk about this, and, and, and we'll, do, we'll do, like, the setup to explain to parents, hey, at youth group, you know, this week, we're going to have this conversation, you know, in small groups, there's going to be an, an open conversation about pornography, and, and, and there's so many parents of middle school students, of high school students, and they, they say, how dare you bring this up? Because, because my, my, my teenager, that's not their, that's not their story. But we just know, we know from the stats, we know from the real conversations that, that, it, that it's, that it's their, their issue. It's out there. And they're going to deal with it at some point. What's this message going to be about? This message, first off, is going to be PG-13, if you haven't caught already. Uh, so this is a great time, if not already, um, to know that we have a wonderful Kids uh, World um, service that you can access, uh, mwkidsworld.ca, so be sure to check that out. Um, but the reason it's PG-13 is not because of uh, the fact that 13-year-olds shouldn't have this conversation. As we're talking about, 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 11-year-olds need to have this conversation. It needs to be guided by parents, that they need to have this conversation. Instead of doing what perhaps you experienced growing up as getting the sex talk, we need to start a conversation about this with kids even younger than middle school. And we'll explain how and, and, and how to do that very, very shortly. Um, the second thing that this message is going to be about, just so that you recognize, it's, it's actually for both men and for women. As we kind of caught from the stats, uh, although I've never been a woman, uh, I don't understand exactly the differences in, in how this plays out. Uh, as a guy, I recognize in talking with guys that this is our issue, that there are so few guys that make it through life without struggling with this as their issue. And so for the men in, in the room, for the men that are listening, uh, the men that are, you know, have this on your podcast, I recognize this is our thing and we're in this fight and, and this is going to be hopefully helpful 
Um, but it also includes women. This is, again, like I said, an equal opportunity sin that will trap women in the similar kinds of ways. So it's for both ends. It's also a wake-up call that will spark guilt. As we talk about your porn addiction, your porn consumption, you well feel guilty because nobody's really called you out before. Nobody's ever really looked you in the eye and said, this is a problem and you need to solve it. So as we talk about this, it is a wake-up call. And that guilt that you feel in your heart is actually not a bad thing and it's not a wrong thing. What happens next is really, really important. Because we know, as those of us that are chosen to follow Jesus, we recognize that this is an issue that, that the kingdom of darkness, that Satan himself, uses to grip people and cultures and families and marriages because it wreaks havoc. And so the devil will take the guilt that you feel throughout this message as you process this and in the days to come, and he'll take that guilt and he'll either morph it into shame, and you'll experience this dramatic shame cycle that just drags you into the dirt, or you'll experience this desire to just be in denial of it and to move past it. That's what the devil wants to do because in both of those cases, you don't get out of your addiction. You don't get out of this problem. If you experience shame to the point of inaction, if you experience denial to the point of inaction, you're still at inaction. The guilt that you're going to feel, though, the guilt that you feel, you take to Christ. You take to the Jesus who died on the cross for this very sin. And Jesus himself, as we're going to discover, he's going to offer you the way forward. He's going to give you a way to repent and then experience freedom from this addiction. And that's what we're praying for. And that's what I've been praying for because this guilt that you're going to feel, you're going to have to do something with it. Would you please, would you please let it be the guilt that moves you to the hope that's going to change the rest of your life? Lastly, what this message is, it's going to be clear. It's going to be really clear. There's no (laughs) pulling punches. I hope you've caught that already. This is a real issue, and we're going to be as clear as possible about it. And what that means is that the bottom line, if you don't hear anything else, the bottom line that we're trying to get across is that pornography is wrong and it's evil, and you should stop using it. It's wrong and it's evil, and you should stop using it. Now, it's wrong implies that it's a moral kind of thing. And, and, and saying that pornography is wrong, is, is, that's, that's a true statement. But oftentimes if we just leave it at the wrong, we think that it's more about like us and the issues that we're dealing with around this particular thing. Pornography is actually evil because, as we'll discover, it has dramatic impacts beyond the end user. Pornography is evil because it is transforming our culture in a terrible way and it is, has impacts well beyond the personal use that you might have with it. And so you need to understand that this, that this is an issue. It's dramatically different than other sins and other hang-ups and hurts in your life. This habit, this habit is serious, and you need to stop it. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about why it's wrong and evil, and then we're going to talk about how to actually move past it and find that hope and healing, okay? So three reasons why pornography is wrong and evil, and and we'll kind of walk through just to make sure that you understand and can explain, and maybe even get a little bit angry about it. I don't know about you, but as, as, as I've been wrestling with this content and, and, and just diving into some of the scriptures around this and, and the personal stories and the journeys and the stories that I know and, and the ways that this has been impacting in my life, it makes me angry. But hopefully that anger you can turn into anger towards action to, to fight and to actually get to this place of, of healing. 
that you can be so fed up about the current reality that you'd be willing to experience something dramatically different. Now, pornography is wrong and, and it's evil for, number one, the reason is because pornography actually changes you. Pornography use changes you at the core of who you are. Now, this is, fascinatingly enough, not new information. It's been information that's been around for thousands of years. We're figuring out some of the science of this now, but it actually, the science affirms what we've known from Scripture all along. So I want to take you to uh, our first Scripture uh, for this particular um, topic and, and recognize there are over 50 different passages that we can talk about pornography, uh, that are, uh, pornography is talked about within. Um, but, but interestingly enough, it actually changes you. Here's, here's how. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, we read from Paul, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, I have the right to do anything is what, is what the people of Corinth would say. So he's having this conversation, you know, through this letter, kind of articulating a position that they, he's heard from them. You know, I have the right to do anything you say. You know, I've got the freedom. I can do anything I want. But not everything is actually beneficial. And for so many part, so much of our lives and so many parts of our lives, you know, we, we try to view this idea of like, we can, we're free, I can do whatever I want, I've got autonomy, this is what you kind of chase for. And what Paul's trying to articulate is that although you can do things, your goal should not be just to edge yourself as close to the line as possible. Right? We get this in, in, in middle school and high school students all the time. They, they want to know like, where's the line? How close can I get to the line before it's wrong? And Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You, you want to ask a different question. There's a better question. Not everything is actually beneficial. Even though you might be able to do it, ask a question of what is the wise thing to do? What is the most helpful thing to do? What is the most beneficial thing to do? Because not everything is actually beneficial. And so, so you might say, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. This idea that we can so easily be enslaved to Things. And so whether or not you're a Christian doesn't change the fact that, that, that you will be enslaved to your pornography consumption so easily. And being enslaved to it, you just need to own and recognize the fact that you've given up your own autonomy. If you thought you were going to be free because I can do whatever I want, I can watch as much porn as I want, that's no big deal. But in doing so, you've actually given your autonomy over to your addiction. And that's what happens time and time and time again. Paul goes on. He explains. He says, the body... The body, physical body, is not meant for sexual immorality. This is our word, pornography, translated from the Greek. Sexual immorality. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See, as, as those of us that have followed Christ and that choose to give our lives over to him, our faith is not just a spiritual kind of faith. It's not just like an out there kind of faith. Our faith is actually a really physical faith. Our faith is actually articulated in how we interact with our own physical bodies. In the here and now, in this space, it's not an ethereal kind of thing. Faith is lived out in the present with your body. And so you need to recognize that this has implications. He goes on to say, Paul writes, Do you not know that he who unites himself, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? You're like, wow, prostitutes. I'm not doing prostitutes. It's just pornography. It's just a porn thing. It's not, it's not real. But, but how much is actually affecting you? Because you think about like the actual physical act of uniting with a prostitute and, and having sex and, and, and just the thought of doing it, the fantasy of doing it, the fantasies that roll around in your head, how much of that still affects you versus the physical act? Jesus would say, 
it affects you the same way. So Paul says, don't you know, that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body, for it is said the two become one flesh. So there's something physical and important about our sexual activity that has dramatic impacts and repercussions in our everyday life. It is a uniting of two people becoming one flesh. It's a little bit mysterious. He goes on to explain. Flee from sexual immorality. There's our word, pornography. Flee from it. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It changes your body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? The body that you have isn't designed just for your own pleasure and for your own purposes. Your body actually is the temple where the Holy Spirit, where God himself wants to dwell. This is this incredible theological concept that that post-resurrection, that God's Spirit wants to dwell inside of each and every one of us in the same way that he was dwelling inside of a physical space, the temple. The temple is now inside of our bodies, and for that reason, our bodies are so essential. Who is in you, the Holy Spirit, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You don't get to just do whatever you want with your own body because it's not your own. You've actually been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The stakes are high, and they're real. Because if you allow yourself to be united with this habit, it actually changes you. And for that reason, would you unite yourself with the Holy Spirit and with God and with your spouse, but would you flee the sexual immorality that's going to change you? Jesus in in Mark explains in a, in a similar type of way this impact that it has on, on us and on, you, you know, your heart and your brain. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, there's our word. All these other things, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Defile a person. Your pornography use, your sexual immorality defiles a person. Now again, for thousands of years, we just had we had this as a concept, as an idea, as an as a, as a, as a, you know, imperative from the Scriptures. But we actually know scientifically now that your uh, pornography use changes you. It actually does defile you. And, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting thing to, to learn about. If you go to the Wikipedia page for neuroplasticity, for example, neuroplasticity is the ability of neural networks in the brain to change through growth and reorganization. The fact that when you watch pornography, it's actually like in your brain, allowing your brain to, to pave a path to pleasure that gets worn down every time that you access it, and it makes it easier and easier to access it. And what happens is, in the same way, it's almost identical to drug addiction, is that you, the high you get from that is diminished over time. You have to escalate the way you're accessing your porn, and then you have to increase the dosage so that you can experience the same highs and the, the dopamine hits and all the things that happen in your brain. But it paves this path so that all of a sudden your expectation of pleasure is only achievable through this path that you've worn in your brain that is called pornography. It's for that reason, it's for that reason that you actually will struggle to experience intimacy outside of your pornographic addiction your, your, uh, your own personal like, indications of, hey, this is, this is a, a good thing, it'll go down with your in-person sexual experiences because you've worn a path with pornography in your brain, and that's it's like a drug. 
And so the interesting thing is that what we're finding is that, uh, is that things are like, okay, so this is a little bit awkward, but, but for young men in particular, under the age of 30, university-age men, the rates of erectile dysfunction are skyrocketing because of their addiction to pornography. They can't, and maybe this is your story, be intimate with a real human being because of the way that their brain has been rewired to experience intimacy only through a screen. And it's awful. You know, things like, and we've seen this a little bit in the stats, that, that things like, um, like sexual activity amongst, amongst minors is a little bit on the decline, which in some ways you're like, hey, like, that's exciting. But the reason for it is terrifying. It's that, that so much of what people are experiencing around their sexual expression is, is, is from online pornography. And it's changed people's brains. And, and there's a whole movement, and there's, there's a lot online about this, because if this is your story, you need to know that, that you have become a different person because of this addiction and because of this use. Even casual use does this. But, but the good news about neuroplasticity is that no matter how old you are, that if you back away from your addiction, if you repent and turn from it and don't use pornography, that your brain will rewire itself. Your brain will allow that path that you've worn to be grown over, over time, and you can choose a different future. But it will be difficult because your brain is different today because of your porn usage. Outside of that, um, studies have found that, that frequency of porn consumption correlates with depression, anxiety, stress, and social problems. And, and if you've heard about like this mental health you know, epidemic that we're in the midst of and, and, and that's so real and it's awful and it's terrifying, it's, it's odd that there's not more conversation about perhaps why some of that might be correlated with, maybe not causes, like not a causal connection, but at least correlated with this increase in pornography use. I wonder if, like what happens if a generation could be completely free from a porn addiction? What would happen to your depression, your anxiety, your stress, your social problems, your mental health? I would think it, I think, I think it would help as the studies have proven. So, so porn is, is wrong and it's evil because it, it does change you. Like this is, this is, this is a health issue. This is a, a serious thing that we're trying to address for you in your life. But beyond that, porn uh, has another effect. There's three big effects here. Uh, number one, it obviously changes you. But number two, it actually changes how you act to others. This is another reason why it's so wrong and it's so evil is that you become a different kind of person in your interactions with others. And again, fascinatingly enough, not something that's brand new information, but something that has been talked about for thousands of years. So let's go to Matthew in the words of Jesus. He says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, looks at a woman lustfully, pornography, has already committed adultery, still the same word of pornography, with her in his heart. Words of Jesus. So your accessing of these videos, these images, these writings, these magazines, articles, whatever it is that causes that arousal. For Jesus, Jesus says, you've already committed adultery. It's, it's equating the two things. And when you commit adultery with somebody, you have to imagine that changes the way that you interact with that person. You have to imagine it changes how you interact with those that are around you. Like, surely if you realize that if you cheat on your spouse with somebody real in person, that has dramatic implications for how you interact now with your spouse because you've cheated. Well, as Jesus says, you already have. 
And so the way that you're now interacting with your spouse is different because you have cheated on them. This whole idea of like, ah, oh, to look is, the, is free, but, you know, it costs something to... It's not true. To look is going to cost you every single time. Interestingly enough, on the early church, as they were sorting out the challenges around um, beginning um, this new direction, you know, so Christians, you know, primarily were Jewish at the time of Jesus' resurrection because Jesus came and, and interacted with Jews. His disciples were Jews. But as that good news message of, of the resurrection spread around the Mediterranean rim, Gentiles, um, those of us who aren't historically Jewish, Gentiles began coming to faith in Christ and putting their, their faith and trust in this, in this living God. And so there was a, an issue, a problem, a challenge for those early Christians. And, and there was this council that actually gathered together to sort it out because as the Gentiles came, they didn't come with the same expectations and the same cultural upbringing as the Jews. And so they didn't do a lot of the things that Jewish people did. And, and so it's a little bit like if, you know, somebody from outside of your cultural context comes into your home, they don't know, you know, the expectations that come from being a part of this family or part of this household, and, and, uh, and the Gentiles are no different. And so they were trying to figure out, in particular, the big issue was, the big issue was, and it is a big issue, is, is do we expect Gentiles who profess faith in Christ to be circumcised? Because all the Jews were circumcised. It was a marker of their Jewishness. And so it's like a lot on the line. Gosh. My goodness, thankfully, uh, for how this all played out. But, uh, but can you imagine, like, as, a, as an adult, you know, coming to faith in Christ, and you're like, all right, perfect, you, you know, we're going to baptize you, and then the next step is, uh, you know, a minor surgery. But, but they were trying to sort out, like, what is the expectation that we have on, on Gentile people? And, and at this council, they decided, okay, if you're going to follow Jesus and join our community, there's just a few things that are essential that we want you to, to know about. And so, so this is interesting. This is an Acts. They come up with three things. Only one of them is important for us today. As for the Gentile believers, they decide after talking amongst themselves, we have written to them all of the law. I mean, all of the law. There's thousands, hundreds, hundreds of laws that the Jewish people would be following. And, and surely, like, very confusing to know, okay, what does it now mean to be a Jesus follower? What laws, what are the things that are important? What are the things that you have to commit to as somebody who decides to follow Christ? And they say, our decision that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols. There's a reason for that. We're not going to cover it. Um, for blood, from the meat of strangled animals. Again, not going to cover that. But, and from sexual immorality. One of the three things. Again, this is our word. When you want to join a community, this new community of Christians, one of the main things that we want you to make sure is that you abstain from sexual immorality. Because it was an issue then, and it's an issue today. And if you're going to be in a community with other people, this is the thing that's going to break that community like nothing else. Because sexual immorality has dramatic impacts on the people around you. Interestingly enough, this is, again, now backed by science. So thousands of years later, we're like, oh, turns out the Bible, the scriptures were actually really correct. Uh, among the effects of the consumption of pornography are an increased, so this is, again, statistically proven, if you consume... An increased negative attitude towards women. Now, we came from recently, this whole, uh, a couple years ago, this rise of the Me Too movement. And rightly so, because gosh, there have been atrocious things that in particular men have done to dehumanize, to devalue, and to actually oppress and, and hurt women. And so they're sharing these stories and, and, and in some cases finding some justice. In most cases, so many cases, there's no justice is happening. But as this is all coming out, uh, part of me wonders and, and wishes that we would instead have a cultural conversation about the use of pornography because we know 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that the porn that, again, men in particular use dramatically changes the way that they interact with the women around them. And so if you're a guy, you just have to know your porn habit is making you be different to the people in your life, including women. It's, it's, it's there. It's the stats. Uh, increased negative attitude towards men, women. Decreased empathy for victims of sexual violence. Why? Well, maybe because most porn is sexual violence. An increase in dominating and sexually imposing behavior, a higher likelihood of cheating on one's uh, partner, and increased behavioral aggression. This is what happens. Why is this not a public health concern? Why is this not something that we're so just viciously attacking? So many things are, are sparked by a person's porn use in our culture today. In fact, here in Moncton last year, um, there was a girl in Moncton High. And this, was, this was an article, and, and you can, again, find it, and, and it was shared around because CBC did a little bit of a profile on her. But a girl at Moncton High, her grade 12 research project, she covered this one, research, this one research question. She said this, why are girls so often asked for nude photos? Grade 12. You know, as a youth pastor, recognizing that when high school girls end up in small group, so many of them have been solicited for photos that that these boys, these boys have learned, they've learned so many wrong things. And it affects the people around them and it changes. It's changed for high schools. It's changed how people interact with each other. And it's an epidemic. And so these girls are growing up, being solicited for images of themselves because people have assumed that's, that's what it is. And maybe, you know, maybe you're a, a single girl or a single guy on the dating sites, um, and, and this is the, just the reality of how it goes. You get sent photos of, of things you never wanted to see, and yet this is just a part of the cultural exchange at this point. And, and you need to hear it's not normal, and it needs to change, and we need to stop it. And as Christians, as the church, this is an issue that we can stand on and be clear about. Now, the sad part is, is that because this is part of your issue, you're hesitant to step forward because you know that you're guilty as well. And so what I'm hoping we do today is to begin to work hard at repenting and allowing the Spirit to change inside of us our desires and our actions so that we can be poised to help a culture that is, that is so sick and is so hurt by these things. Why is pornography wrong and evil? Third thing, fuels injustice. Fuels injustice. <clears throat> Again, from Scripture, we know this to be the case, and we know that this is something that has been warned, forewarned uh, in the Scriptures. And so in 1 Thessalonians, we, we read this really clearly, that it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. There's our word again, pornography. That each of you should learn. You should learn because it's actually a bit of a skill. Like you learn to play piano. You learn to play soccer. You learn about this. It's a process. It doesn't happen instantly. You're like, why is this my issue? It's because this is most people's issue. You have to learn. It's a skill. You learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. 
not in passionate lust like the pagans. And we just have to accept the fact that if you're here and you're watching, we think that obviously, no matter what your faith background, that this is an important issue. But outside of the, the legal ramifications of your porn use, there's not a lot necessarily that we have to stand on. As, as Christians, we're trying to say is, if you follow Christ, this needs to be your, your call to action. And you should follow Christ because he'll make you free from this. But, but it is true that in our, in our culture, passionate lust runs rampant. But they don't know God. They don't know the freedom. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Not a, not a familial, like your actual brother or your sister, but in this communal nature, your brothers and your sisters. Nobody should take advantage in, in this kind of way. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Now, why this is critical is that this issue has hurt so many people. The amount of, of sex trafficking that happens today because of pornography is, is outrageous. The amount of times that people are taken advantage of because of pornography is, is outrageous. And so if you're a consumer of this product, you need to know that you're contributing to an industry that exploits women all around the world, that ex- exploits minors, that the sites that you visit are profiting off of you and turning around and allowing people to be victimized in the worst possible way. And so, um, there's, I, I want to read you a, 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 a section from an article uh, Nicholas Kristof put out just, just in December, actually. Uh, he's a writer, and, and I've uh, enjoyed um, the work that he's done over the years. It's been really, really important. I don't think he has a, a faith in Jesus, and yet he's been uh, close to a lot of Christians, especially around this kind of topic. Uh, and for that reason, you know, I pray that, that you know, at some point he will, uh, he will put his faith in, in Christ. But he does a good work to highlight the atrocities that are happening in our world today. And, and it's awful. This is, this, is, um, this is one story from the New York Times article. You can Google it. You can read it. At 14, Serena was an A student in Bakersfield, California, who had never made out with a boy. But in the eighth grade, she developed a crush on a boy a year older, and he asked her to take a naked video of herself. She sent it to him, and this changed her life. This story is playing out in in our middle schools all throughout Moncton, in our high schools, all throughout this area. He asked her for another, and then another, She was nervous but flattered. That's when I started getting strange looks in school, she remembered. He had shared the videos with other boys, and someone posted them on Pornhub, one of the most popular video sites on the internet. Serena's world imploded. It's tough enough to be 14 without having your classmates entertain themselves by looking at you naked and then mocking you as a slut. People were texting me. If I didn't send them a video, they were going to send them to my mom, she said. The boy was suspended, but Serena began skipping class because she couldn't bear the shame. Her mother persuaded Pornhub to remove the videos. Just surprising, they don't always do that. And Serena switched schools, but rumors reached the new school, and soon the videos were uploaded again to Pornhub and other websites. Serena quarreled with her mother and began cutting herself. Then one day, she went to the medicine cabinet and took every antidepressant pill she could find. Three days later, she woke up in the hospital, frustrated to be alive. Next, she hanged herself in the bathroom. Her little sister found her, and medics revived her. As Serena spiraled downward, a friend introduced her to meth and opioids, and she became addicted to both. She dropped out of school and became homeless. At 16, 16, 
She advertised on Craigslist and began selling naked photos and videos of herself. It was a way to make a bit of money and maybe a way to punish herself, she thought. I'm not worth anything anymore because anybody has already seen my body, she told. Those videos ended up on Pornhub. Serena would ask that they be removed. They usually would be, she says, but then would be uploaded again. One naked video of her at 14 had 400,000 views. Leaving, leaving her afraid to apply for fast food jobs for fear that someone would recognize her. So today, Serena, 19, off drugs for a year, but unemployed and traumatized, is living in her car in Bakersfield along with three dogs that have proved more loyal and loving than the human species. She dreams of becoming a vet tech, isn't sure how to get there. It's kind of hard to go to school when you're living in a car with dogs, she says. I was dumb, she acknowledged, noting that she had never imagined that the videos could be shared online. It was one small thing that a teenager does. It's crazy how it turns into something so much bigger. This is the industry. This story is repeated. You can read the stories in this article so many times. Your habit is what fuels this story to happen all around the world. When you access these sites. You know, it's interesting, last week, uh, our Canadian government actually had a question and answer session uh, in our parliament with uh, MindGeek, which is the parent company of Pornhub. Pornhub being, uh, again, one of the most popular uh, free porn sites around. Uh, MindGeek has hundreds of sites. They're a private company, but they're headquartered out of Montreal in our borders. So our government was asking, like, what are you doing? You're allowing these these girls to be exploited. You're profiting off of it. They don't really have an answer, and they don't really have a plan for how to stop it. So I emailed just this last week our local MP, uh, Jeanette, and and, and I emailed her before, actually, about about this kind of issue because it's, it's time that they're held accountable. I mean, I think the change starts with us, and it starts here to now and today, you acknowledging the fact that, that, this, is, that this is your issue. But we go a step further, and, and we make a, a stand on this issue because of the impact that it's having on people. And as a country and as a population, surely we can stand up and say that this isn't right. And we don't want a company to profit and to propagate these kinds of things. So if you've ever thought that your habit, that your habit doesn't hurt anybody, it's fine. It's a victimless crime. It's a victimless crime. It's just me on my computer. Doesn't, doesn't have an effect. It's not the case. So far from the case. First off, just, just so you know, first off, anybody, you're somebody Why don't you treat yourself like somebody that you would want to help and stand up and take responsibility for your actions because you're somebody and you're worth being serious about. You're worth taking yourself seriously and getting your life in line to stand up and own the fact that this is your thing. And it's time, it's time to stop it. Doesn't matter how long it's been, doesn't matter your situation, doesn't matter who the news of this would affect. It's time to realize that this has hurt people long enough and you are responsible, but you have got the autonomy to make a change. Your habits do hurt people. They hurt yourself, they hurt the people around you, and they hurt people in California, 14-year-old girls. 
So our bottom line, our bottom line is that pornography is wrong and evil. We catch that. And you should stop using it. Stop using it is difficult. Stop using it is, is easy to say, incredibly difficult to do because of the way that the enemy has, has made this just a, such a shame-based thing. He's cast just you in, a, in this really difficult, dark place with it. And so you need to know that we want to help as a church, as your community, that we're here to actually help process what you can do about this. And so I, I want to invite Pastor Joel uh, to the platform because as, a, as our lead pastor here, uh, this is something that he prays for people often. And he recognizes enough to make space in a Sunday morning service that we would have this kind of conversation so that you could experience the freedom that God so desperately wants for you. And so I've invited him because we need to, we need to sort out what does it actually mean to experience freedom in this way and to move beyond the habit that we have around pornography. So Pastor Joel. One of the things that people don't know is that... I Jeremy, Jeremy helped us design this series. We, Jeremy and Pat and I worked on these six habits uh, together to teach through. And he and I kind of debated and fought a little bit on who, who was going to talk today. Yeah. And, uh, and he won because uh, he has so much experience in, in helping teens. It, those of you who, a lot of people in our church wonder, who is this Jeremy guy uh, who's kind of become part of our teaching team over the last year or so on, a, on an occasional basis. And uh, this is what he does, is help student ministries all across Canada lead more effectively to reach the next generation for Jesus and bring freedom to the bondage that has been so common in our world. And so, Jeremy, I just, I, I pray, I pray that this, there are so many things that go viral on the internet these days this is a message that should go viral. Amen, folks? That people need to hear not just the problem, but the power of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And so that's what we want to just finish up with today. Yep. Uh, Jeremy, we've worked through some specific steps to help people who, uh, who, especially right now at the very beginning, let's talk to parents or people who say, I want to help others. What can yep. we do to help others? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, there's just a couple action steps. You want to, you really do want to protect the people that are close to you, your, your kids, uh, the people that you love, but you also need to prepare them for what's to come. And this is, like we have discovered, it is a big issue, and it's something that you need to talk about and have a conversation about from an early, early age. So my first recommendation is good pictures, bad pictures. I actually have um, our copy for, from our house. Uh, it is a wonderful book uh, that is preparing a hard conversation. And there's, this is the junior version. There's a version that's for older kids, but but you can read this and you should be reading and talking about these kind of topics in an age-appropriate way to kids. My, my oldest son is five, needs to start at least at five because this is going to be the world that they grow up in and they have to learn how to sort it out. And you have to be willing to offer them a safe place to have the real conversation. You also need to be able to protect, and so certainly there are a few resources to help with that. Uh, Famasafe is one of the uh, possibles. There's lots out there, but it's a good place to start Googling. Um, what are ways that you can uh, you know, protect some of the internet access that your kids have, the tablets, the things that they use, their phones? And uh, your goal here is to actually create healthy boundaries and parameters. They're going to be able to sort out, you know, if they want to, how to get past them, but the goal is that at least you're protecting them for as long as you possibly can. So Famasafe is a good place to start. Another one that we highly recommend is Circle Home Plus. It used to be produced by Disney, but it's the thing that connects to your router at home so that devices inside of your house have dedicated times that they can access the internet. Certain websites are cut off. 
all of that kind of stuff. Really, really great. Um, there's a cool service in the U.S. called Bark. Um, at this point, from what I can tell, it is only allowed in the U.S., but I would love if you're a developer. We have a lot of U.S. folks who are with there us There you right go, now. yeah. So by all means, please access Bark, but also uh, let's figure out a way to bring it to Canada because they're doing some really, really helpful work. Uh, and then lastly... Um, Defend Dignity is a Canadian-based uh, organization, nonprofit that is advocating on behalf of those that are being sexually exploited. And uh, they're the ones that actually sparked my first interest to email our MP and to talk about this because there are things that we can be doing um, from a political standpoint. And there's not a lot of things that I think we would say you should get political about from this platform. This is one of them, and it's worth getting political about. And so check out the work that Defend Dignity is doing. It will help our culture for sure. Right. And so... Those are some of the ways that we can help others, uh, but we know based on these statistics, uh, and it's not just out in the world, some of these statistics are, are directly from the church as well. Uh, what, are, what are we going to say today? Because we've designed some specific steps to help people who right now, who are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and say, I want to walk towards freedom. Yeah. So without a doubt, uh, repentance is the first step. You've got to own that you've got a problem. And then you've got to recruit the just best support around you as possible so that you can be free from this. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. You cannot do it by yourself. You need to hear that. You need to know it. Repent and then recruit the help that you need. And so the first thing, and we want to do this as a church, is actually offer you uh, a support group. So if you text CHANGE right now, and you should, you should text this number right now. You should have your phone out. You should minimize this. Text CHANGE to this number, and it's going to put you into uh, a, a text group that you can be as anonymous as you'd like. I'm going to jump in there and be responding just right after this service, but we're going to put together a specific support group for women and for men, and you need this community. And so if this is your story, this is your habit, and today's the day that you're going to find a hope and healing from it, you need to text CHANGE to this number, and we're going to put that group together. Again, as anonymous as you'd like it to be and as you need it to be, we can certainly do that. Absolutely. And so we have some next steps, as you say, that will get sent back to you if you text to this number right now. And, uh, and then eventually part of that can be Celebrate Recovery. This is a huge part of Celebrate Recovery as well. Yeah. So let's, let's keep going. What else yeah, can we absolutely. do? absolutely. Secondly, and this might be your situation that you recognize you need some, some honest, direct help. It needs to be in the confines of a real confidential relationship. Um, you might need counseling. And this is what counseling is for. I've been to counseling. I, I really love the counselor that I've been working with lately. Um, not particularly about this issue, but about the issues that happen in my life. You need counseling. And Touchstone is local here in Moncton. There's uh, some counselors that actually attend this yeah, church. Yeah, we have a specific partnership. And Touchstone is not your only option. But I do want to encourage you, when it comes to therapy and counseling, listen, there is a difference between going to counseling from a Christian who is mm. giving you worldly solutions and says a lot of this stuff is just normal and healthy and okay yep. because things like this have been normalized in our society. And then we wonder why all of a sudden the statistics and the addictions and the abuse is so prevalent. Listen, I want to really, really encourage you, consider a Christian counselor. And so that's why we have a specific partnership with Touchstone. Yeah, absolutely. So you can check them out. They've got a website. If you need help, you can just text this number as well. And uh, you can ask questions about the counseling. We can set that up for you. So these are the action steps that you need to take yourself in order to, uh, to get help.
and to help yourself and find the accountability that you need. There's a couple other tools that you might use. Uh, Fortify is a community online. Uh, again, uh, just a, a great, like there's a lot of these different types of services that are being offered to help people, and so you might find a lot of help with that. Covenant Eyes is a, a, a service that you, you know, input on your device and on your computers to provide a little bit more of that accountability, restrict some sites you use with maybe an accountability partner, um, which is extremely helpful, and so be sure to access that. Um, and then lastly, just normalize, uh, or sorry, fight the new drug. A lot of the material from uh, even this talk has come from Fight the New Drug, which uh, they are based out of the U.S., but talking a lot about the science behind all of this kind of stuff, and so you should check them out. Um, but lastly, I want to say that there is um, just a normalization of sharing your device. You know, this idea that you need to have your computer, um, you know, pointed against the wall is wrong. Reorient your de desk and your office so that somebody can walk in on you at any point. Make sure that your device is accessible by a close family member, uh, you know, that they know your password and that they regularly access your phone. Just normalize it. You don't want to have places in your world where secrecy and, and hiddenness and privacy are, are allowed because that is exactly where the devil is going to pounce and, and allow things to really get twisted, and that's where you'll find the temptation be wise enough to normalize things like sharing your device. Yeah, destruction thrives in the darkness, but freedom is found in the light. And uh, I want to encourage you, I know this service is a little bit longer than we do many Sundays, but I want to encourage you to stick through with us to the very end, because we have some uh, some more next steps. I've got a big all-church announcement to kind of talk through that I don't want you to miss at the very end. But first, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this shocking reminder today. Or maybe for some, this is more than a reminder. Maybe this is a, a shocking first update to what's going on in the dark underside of our culture. Lord, we know that this is what our spiritual enemy, Satan, does, is he normalizes that which is destructive. He sets traps to take us down. And then he laughs when we fall. But Lord, we know that you are the deliverer. We know that there is no bondage that you cannot break. That there is no, no habit that you cannot free us from. We know that you have given us spiritual community to help us journey together. Lord, I pray even for our small groups this week as we negotiate some of these scriptures together and, and pray together in our small group context. And I pray right now, especially for those who are getting ready right now on their phone to text that number or to contact us here at the church so that we can help them take the next steps. Lord, we know that the enemy wants to use shame to keep us in the darkness. But Lord, we are a community where all of us have come as sinners. All of us have come with bondage. All of us have come with shame. But under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we lay it down before your feet today. Lord, we confess and we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we can live in freedom, so that we don't have to walk in the darkness, hiding things like we used to do, but we can walk in the light. Oh, thank you for what you're doing even right now in people's hearts. So in Jesus' name, we worship you. We worship you.